There is, however, a major sub-theme in Paul's letter to the Ephesians. And that sub-theme is unity. Okay? I call this a sub-theme because it is actually um, a part of the larger theme of Ephesians about our participation in Christ and our vision of that. Because what Paul wants us to understand is that because each one of us from all of our various backgrounds have been joined to Christ, uh, become participants in his experience of resurrection, right, and, and now live as his body in the world, all of us who have been joined to him have actually, by virtue of being joined to him, have been joined to one another. Okay? This is major for Paul. In fact, let me show you this real quick. I promise we're getting to our passage. All right? I'm a context guy, so here we go. Um, so this is that text where it says we were dead in our trespasses and he made us alive together in Christ. I want you to see... Um, how he actually says this. <clears throat> in verse 5, even when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together. Now this should be in, I'm, I'm sorry for doing this, but in and with are the same preposition in Greek. So we might think with, another option is in. I much prefer in based on the fact that this preposition is used all through Ephesians to mean in Christ, okay? Do you, do you see what he's saying here? He made us alive, that is us, alive together in Christ. It's not that he made us alive together in Christ. In other words, our togetherness is with Christ. It is by virtue of being in Christ, we have been made alive together. Okay? So the point is, when all the little Plato pieces become part of the one, they all become one, right? Not just with Christ, but by being with Christ or in Christ, we are now one with each other. Okay, so how does this work out for Paul in the letter? <clears throat> one of the ways that he is very concerned that this works out is in the context of the unity between Jewish-born, like ethnically Jewish converts to Christianity and non-Jewish or Gentile converts, okay? How can they become unified? This is what he's trying to work out in the second half of, the, of chapter 2. Uh, I need some water. We've, we've discussed this from various angles. I want to walk through it a little bit more again today. We're going to be focusing particularly on the second half of this, but we're going to walk, walk into it. So he starts to address the Ephesian believers, who are mostly non-Jewish. He says, therefore, remember that at one time, you Gentiles in the flesh, called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands, remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. 
But now in Christ Jesus, you who are once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. So, the situation essentially is this, right? Paul is remembering an earlier time in the experience of these Ephesian believers, right? Before they came, became believers in Jesus. But really, he's also remembering a, an earlier time in the history of redemption, okay? A time before the advent of Jesus as the Messiah. And he's saying we have this situation. We have an in-group, and we have an out-group, right? We have Jews, who are the people of God, and we have Gentiles, who are not the people of God, and are in some ways excluded from um, uh, what is offered to the in-group. Now, what is it that is offered? Well, he emphasizes particularly that what is offered is hope. Okay, check this out. He says in verse 12 that they were strangers to the covenants. Uh, hold on. Oh, I've got to do this. My bad. There we go. Strangers to the covenants of promise and having. I uh, think I just stopped it. Okay, there we go. Strangers to the covenants of promise and having no hope and without God in the world. When Paul talks about the covenants of promise, I'm pretty sure that he's talking particularly about this promise that he made to a guy named Abraham, who was the father of the Israelite nation, the early patriarch, right? Do you remember this promise that God made? It's particularly called a promise, right? The promise is that God would bless him and his descendants and that through him all the the nations of the world would be blessed. This is picking up on the real problem in the book of Genesis, the first book of the Bible, which is that um, humanity became cursed. They lost God's blessing, but God, through the nation of, of Israel, through Abraham, he promised to bless them, restore this blessing, And Paul is saying that blessing was initially, it was for the the Israelites, the Jewish people, and their descendants. And the Gentiles were excluded. And so they didn't have the same hope of restoration of blessing. Later, um, we would get markers of this distinction, right? One of those markers would be circumcision. Okay, this was a marker of the in-group versus the out-group. Another marker would be certain uh, laws that they would follow in the Torah. Okay, but now look, Paul is like, yeah, that was true. But notice how he he doesn't actually think this is a very basic or fundamental reality. This distinction between the in-group and the out-group. Notice how he he talks about it. He says. You were Gentiles in the flesh, called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. What is he trying to emphasize? He's trying to emphasize that this is something, this is a surface reality in this period of redemptive history. 
It's something that is in the flesh. It's not a fundamental or basic identity that these people have. That they were, you know, circumcised and alienated, uncircumcised and alienated from the people of God. You see that? It's a, it's a surface reality. And if we were to look at Paul's letter to the Galatians, we would actually find out that Paul thinks that from the very beginning, God's intention was not that there would be this group and that group, but actually that the promise would be fulfilled in one particular person, who would be a descendant of Abraham, the Messiah. Okay? And then when the Messiah came and was a recipient of that promise of blessing, then anyone, whether Jewish or non-Jewish, could actually be united to that person, to the Messiah, become one with him by faith, become his body, and therefore a participant and a recipient of the blessing and the promise. Okay? Paul is like, this has actually always been where this has been going. Okay? The historical distinction between Jew and Gentiles as near to God and part of his covenant people and excluded people was a provisional and temporary one. And the breaking, of, breaking down of these distinctions in the Messiah was built in from the beginning. All right, so now let's look at the second kind of section in this. passage. This one's really interesting. I had not, before this week, I had not noticed some things about this. It says, for he himself is our peace, that is Jesus, is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man, in the place of the two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who are far off and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. Now at the beginning of this, it seems like Paul is talking about Jesus being the means of peace between Jew and Gentile, right? That's what that seems like? Right, he himself is our peace. He's made both one. Jew and Gentile, he's made one. I think that is what he's talking about at the beginning when he says that he is our peace. He uh, has done away with the things that highlighted the distinctions, like the Torah, right? these uh, markers of the boundaries between the in-group and the out-group. Jesus does away with those and makes the, the two into one. In fact, he creates, he says, in himself, one new man out of the two. Okay, I want you to get that image in your head. All right, This is very central to Ephesians. In Jesus, there is one new man or one new humanity. Okay? And you can actually think of it that way, as like a man with a body, <laughs> right? Because we have been incorporated into Jesus' body. We have become his body, right? So that actually we are 
all, right, the, chi- the one child of Abraham receiving the blessing and the promise, right? Does that make sense? It's a little hard to, you know, envision, but that's, that's what Paul is trying to say. So it's a, it's a new creation, a new, newly created human in which we participate, and that brings peace between the two groups. But now look at this in verse 16. Paul actually shifts what he means by peace. This is very important. At first we were talking about peace between the two groups. But now listen. It says what Jesus does, he says, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. So, who is the peace between now? Yeah. Between God and humans. Right? In other words, yeah, we need reconciliation between each other, Jew and Gentile, to become one. But actually, Paul is saying there's a more fundamental division or hostility that is at work, and that is a division between us all, Jew and Gentile, and God himself. And what God does is he actually reconciles us both to God and kills that hostility through what he does on the cross. So in verse 17, when he says, And he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near, do you get how kind of radical that is? Yes, the people far off, the Gentiles, need peace. What kind of peace? Peace between God and them. And those who are near need peace, right? The Jews who were the in-group, who thought that they were close to God and had that nearness and access to God, turns out Paul is saying, actually, you didn't. What you need is also peace. For, for Jesus to reconcile you to God and kill that hostility or that enmity that you experience. For in him, or through him, we both have access now in one spirit to the Father. So the interesting thing about what Paul is doing in this text is that at the same time that he maintains a like historical, redemptive, historical distinction between Jews and Gentiles, he shows that this distinction never really applied. Yes, there was a division between near and far, Jews and non-Jews, but it turns out that both the near and the far were, in fact, estranged from God the whole time. So even those who seemed to be close to God actually did not have access to God. So here I think we can draw a major application to our lives. We may not feel in our experience an enmity between Jew and Gentile, right? <clears throat> so much that's not our situation as much, at least um, in our context usually. But we have our own ways of drawing divisions and making distinctions. Uh, historian, Jewish historian Shia Cohen uh, writes, there are two kinds of people in the world. Those who divide the world into two kinds of people and those who do not. <laughs> One of the first steps in attaining unity is actually redrawing our lines of division. See, it's never 
and was never most fundamentally me versus you or us versus them, but all of us estranged from God. So if we don't cut the line like this between ourselves, but instead cut it like this between us and God, what does that do? It puts us all at the same starting point, right? It throws us all into the same boat of need. And as long as we think that our biggest problems are horizontal, we will never be able to overcome them. Right? I mean, for example, if we think, oh, if those conservative Christians would just listen on racial justice, or if those liberal Christians would stop canceling Dr. Seuss, or if those dispensationalists would have a better view of eschatology, or if those white churches would make an effort to be more multicultural, then if, 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 then we could really come together in unity. But no, our problems are not most fundamentally horizontal problems between me and you, us and them. Our biggest problem is vertical. And that throws us all into the same boat, all with the same hope of reconciliation. And this is what Paul wants us to understand here. We only get peace between ourselves by virtue of all of us getting peace between us and God. Now, the last section of this text, verse 19. So then, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together, grows into a holy temple to the Lord, in whom you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. So, I think what's kind of interesting here that I'm still trying to wrap my mind around is how Paul switches his major metaphor in this section. Throughout Ephesians, he's been using the metaphor of a body, right? Which is kind of a metaphor and kind of not, because Jesus does actually have a body, and somehow we actually are his body. Um, but there's a certain sense in which it does become a metaphor for him, because he talks about like ligaments and you know these kinds of ways of understanding our unity. But here he switches his metaphor to that of a building or a temple, okay, to talk about unity. He says that we are built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. Okay, so those first witnesses of Jesus' life and resurrection, the first disseminators of the message of the gospel, that's the foundation. Jesus himself, he says, is the, is the cornerstone of this building. And then in him, the whole building is joined together, that is each individual part, is joined together and grows into a holy temple in the Lord. And together we are built into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. 
it's actually interesting. This um, I can find my uh, pencil here. Um, this verb right here, join together, and then grows. These two words. Yeah, you're ready to get dizzy. I'm just gonna scroll real quick. We're gonna go to chapter four. Um, where he actually uses the body image again. And he says, the whole body, he's talking about us as the body of Christ, growing up into the maturity uh, that God has called us to. And he says, um, joined, he says, each part of the body is joined and held together uh, by every joint. And he says that we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, Christ. These are the same verbs that he's using to talk about the growth of the temple. <laughs> okay, but here he's applying them to the body. Uh, so this is something we need to keep wrestling with, but it's very, it's very interesting. This idea of a growing building is, I guess, what we're supposed to imagine. But the point is, whoever we are, and however we have been estranged from one another. The fact is that none of us had access to God. We were all excluded, right? As we imagine this temple, or the temple image, right? Coming into the holy place where God's presence dwells. None of us could actually get there, near or far. But now, because of what Jesus has done for us, we not only have access to God, but we, in fact, are ourselves a temple of God's presence by the Spirit. That is, God's Spirit dwells among us as a community. So it's a great reversal, not only for Gentile, but also for Jew. Our hostility, our division between God has now um, shifted so that we actually have become a temple or dwelling place of God together. All right, let's pray. Lord, we um, pray that you would help us uh, in this time of extraordinary division in the church. We pray that you would help us to gain a new vision of unity. Um, not just us as a, as a smaller community, but just the church universally, Lord. I'm very burdened about this, um, the way that we are not reflecting, I think, the, the reality, right? That we're, we're, we're not captured enough by that apocalyptic vision of us joined together with you and to one another. Lord, help us to understand uh, how all of us have need of reconciliation to you, and that um, as we all cross that line of from, from enmity to um, actually experiencing and being, a, 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 I guess, a temple of your presence, that you would um, help us to reflect that in our unity together. Jesus' name, amen.